Amen. Good morning, Mountain View. And all of those joining us through the internet, uh, I want to invite a little bit of participation this morning. So if you're on your phone or somewhere like that, I want to invite you to participate. But uh, I'm excited to dig into God's Word together today. And um, today will be fun, but, uh, but a good time in the Word together. Next week, I'm super excited about because we'll be getting right back to the book of Acts. We've taken a couple of months uh, over Christmas and at the beginning of the year. And now we're going to get right back into the book of Acts. We'll pick back up in Acts 17 where we left off. And uh, through that study, we've been discovering that uh, the, the very first churches, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, turned their world upside down. And it's been an exciting journey as we've read through Acts. And what, I, what my prayer is that we would be that kind of church who are everyday people empowered by the Holy Spirit to turn our world upside down. Amen. So we will start back with that next week. But today is uh, Valentine's weekend. And uh, I know many of you are thinking about love and hearts and candy and all those kinds of things. But uh, maybe you're like me and you're just thinking you might get a steak dinner. Who knows? But um, I wanted to play a little game as we begin. And then we're going to get into uh, the book of First John a little bit together. But um, just out of curiosity, I want to know in the room and online, if you're uh, joining us online, I don't know how you can contribute, but raise your hand online. How do you do that? I guess you look at the little emoji hand, right? Okay. All right. So I want to know who in the room and online is the longest married couple in the room. So uh, if you've been married 10 years or longer, put your hand up. Okay. All right, keep it up if you've been married 15 years or longer. I'm, I'm out now. Okay, keep it up if you've been married 20 years or longer. Okay, looking good. 25? Okay, several went down right there. Keep going, you'll be all right. Uh, 30? 30 years or longer. 35? Yeah, we still got some here and some in the back. 40 years? 40 years. This is awesome, yes. Okay, all right, 45 years. Okay, all right, we still got some over here. Is that, is it John and Joe? Is that our in-house winners? How many years is it, John? Over 50 years. Wow, that's awesome. All right, praise God for that. Okay, if you had over 50 years and you're joining us online, just send the number and uh, we'll celebrate with you too. Uh, all right, newlyweds. I want to know who the newest married couple in the room is. So if you've been married less than two years, lift your hand. Less than two years. Okay. All right. Less than one year. Okay. Congrats on the one-year anniversary. That's awesome. All right. So uh, less than nine months. Still, still got some up. Less than six months. Okay. Okay. Is it just... Nick? Yeah. <laughs> man, my busy wife. <laughs> Where's the wife, man? I don't believe him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. How, how long? Three months. Well, congratulations, brother. Congratulations. Okay, so uh, one last game just because this is, uh, this is fun. So I want to know who has the most children. I'm trying to win a prize here. I'm trying to win something, right? Okay, so if you have three or more children, lift your hand. Okay? All right. 
I got you beat probably. All right, here we go. If you have four or more, okay, if you have five or more children, okay, somebody might have me beat. If you have six or more children, hey, it's three-way time. Rock on, guys. All right, if you have, if you're online, you're joining us online, and you have more than five children, we want to know how many you have, and we want to send you some money because you, you need it. Um, so uh, that's fun. All right, so I want to take just a moment and teach about love, and as we get into that, so find your place in God's Word. First John chapter four is where we will be this morning, but. As we begin uh, at Mountain View Church, we hold on to three core values. And when I use that term, what I mean is it's, it's the kind of people we aim to be. It's not yet who we are, but it's who we want to be. And so we want to be a people who are defined by hope, faith, and love. You know, if you, as you come into our cafe uh, welcome area, you'll see a huge banner that says, resting in hope, walking in faith, pursuing in love. And that's, that's kind of our core, it's what, what drives us. We want to be... Those people who rest in the hope of Christ, walk in faith with Christ, and pursue God and neighbor with the love of Christ. So I want to talk those out really quickly because that's going to be a good lead into our discussion on love today. So our hope is in Jesus Christ alone. It's in his finished work, purchasing our salvation at the cross and guaranteeing it through the empty tomb. So we can rest in hope. This is a wild idea in today's culture, this idea of rest. I feel like many of us really need to dig in and relearn how to rest. Uh, our culture is driving us to work, 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 work. If you ask somebody, how are you doing, man? You say, oh, I'm busy, I'm real busy. But the Lord calls us into his rest. And the idea here is that we don't work for our hope. We don't work for it. It's not about what we can do. It's about what Jesus has already done. So this doesn't mean that we want to have a lazy kind of faith. It doesn't mean we're, you know, a lazy boy church. It means that we take we take some bold steps for Jesus, but we rest in what he has accomplished. So our faith now. So hope and faith. We do want to call each other to take bold steps to walk out your faith in Christ. You read through the New Testament, you get to Hebrews 11, you see, we call it maybe a hall of faith. It's these story after story after story of men and women of God who have walked out their faith. And what you find is that faith has action. When you believe in this Jesus, there are steps you take that are bold, sometimes risky, but faithful steps. It's not that we're... Lazy, we, we just don't do those things in order to be his. We do them because we are his. Now, our faith is not in some abstract force of the galaxies far, far away. No, our faith is real. It's, it's founded in history. It's founded in his story. Our faith is in a real man who really walked this earth, who really lived a perfect life, who really died in your place, and who really rose from the dead. Our faith is real. And our faith changes how we live. So daily, we want to walk in faith. And thirdly, our our love is Jesus' love. And this is where we'll, we'll spend some time today. 
It's a unique kind of love. It's sacrificial. It's giving. It's selfless. It's pure. It's truthful. It's committed. It's compassionate. We could go on and on and on describing the love of Christ. And here's the reality. We are so loved by Christ. He loved us even while we were still rejecting him and still sinning. He loved us. We were against him and yet he came to save us. This love, the Apostle Paul writes, this love compels us. We're compelled by this kind of love. And it's in that sense that we want to pursue God. So when we gather, that's part of the reason is to pursue the Lord in worship. We want to make much of this Savior. And then we want to together pursue our neighbors and the nations with the gospel love of Jesus Christ. That's what we mean as a church when we when we say we want to rest in hope, walk in faith and pursue in love. That's what we mean. But well, the Bible says these three abide. First Corinthians 13, faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. Now, today's world is uh, really confused about love. Can we agree? The world today is very confused about love. If you're looking to the world to give you a definition of love, you're you're going to um, be in a mess. The world would like for you to think that love is some uncontrollable force of emotion with with no boundaries, no parameters. You know, whatever you love, whomever you love, just, just chase that. Whatever that emotion is, just give yourself fully to it. That love is just some joyful explosion of feeling between people. There's even a, a popular bumper sticker I've seen that just it's just heart plus heart equals marriage. One thing I know is there's a lot more to that equation than just heart plus heart. Right. Uh, the marriage equation is, is a lot bigger and broader than that. And, and if you if you're not yet married, you don't know that I'll set you up with John and Joe and they'll explain <laughs> that uh, marriage requires a lot more than just heart plus heart. You know, we laugh because um, those of us in this room that are in those committed relationships, we know there's a lot more to love than just blissful emotion. So I just want to take a moment, introduce the idea of love with with three kind of punchy statements before we get into the truth of God's word. And here they are. Maybe these will be helpful for you if uh, maybe you're a high school student or you're dating somebody or maybe you've been married a while and marriage is tough. So let me, let me just give you uh, three things that hopefully will be helpful to you. Real love. I'm talking about real love. Real love is a choice. Real love is a choice. You know, the world wants to tell you that love is this radical emotion. You just give yourself to it and it'll just take you where, where it'll take you like some wave of the ocean. But there are a lot of times that you actually don't feel like loving. But you choose to pull in close. It's a choice. You have to fight sometimes with how you feel in order to embrace real love. You choose to love because there are days when it's not the easiest thing to do. Sometimes the easiest thing to do would be to walk away. But real love is a choice. In fact, Love is a constant lesson in lowering yourself and lifting someone else. Now, real love doesn't seek its own, is what 1 Corinthians 13 says. Well, that doesn't come naturally. 
It's something you grow in maturity and you choose. Real love is a choice. Secondly, real love speaks truth. Real love speaks the truth. Uh, the things that aren't always easy to say. You know, when you're, when you're dating somebody, you, you tell them all the things they want to hear. And when you get married, uh, well, it's not quite that way. <laughs> uh, real love learns to speak the truth. And the thing is, love builds the bridge that truth can walk across. Love is willing to wound to bring a deeper kind of healing. Uh, I remember a, a night when uh, we were getting ready for bed and I was brushing my teeth in the bathroom and Lauren came in and she put her hand on my shoulder. She started rubbing me gently on my shoulder and I was like, oh, that's nice. And then she said, you have a nasty mole back here. <laughs> and I, I was like, wow, and uh, you need to see a doctor about this. I thought, okay, real love speaks the truth, right? Um, that's a silly example, but uh, there are a lot of deeper things where real love is willing to sit face to face, hold each other in the hands and say things that are hard to hear. But real love chooses to be in that moment and chooses to speak and receive truth. So do you love enough to say hard things? You know, truth does hurt, but love heals. Real love speaks truth. Real love is committed. This is the last one and then we'll jump into the scripture. Real love is committed. When loving gets tough, the committed love through it. Now listen up. If someone says they love you, but they won't commit to you, maybe they don't know what real love is. Without commitment, when times get difficult, people bail. People walk away when things are hard. But committed love works through issues. It's willing to forgive. It's willing to forbear with, with, with silly, um, awkward things that bother you. It's willing to forgive when you're wounded and hurt by sin. Committed love is patient. With commit, and with commitment, there's staying power in a relationship. Now, I'm not just talking about love relationships, although that's been sort of the the premise for a moment. Let me also challenge us to think that that's also the relationship within the body of Christ. Real love is intended to be a committed kind of love. It's a love that we, we choose. You realize this family looking around is a family that you choose. It's not the family you're born into. It's the family you're born again into. It's a family you choose. It's also a family where you speak the truth. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, he says, speaking the truth in love. We speak truth, aiming not to hurt, but to heal. And we're committed to one another. That's part of the premise today. I want you to see, you know, we love the, the scripture Tucker read, 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. And we think about that in terms of a marriage covenant all the time. But I want you to know the context of that chapter is right between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. Both of which are teachings about how to be a local church. 1 Corinthians 12 is all about being a part of the body and knowing your role as an eye or a hand or a foot, being a faithful member of a body. And then comes chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. That teaching on love is 
first actually applied to the local church. Of course, it matters in the marriage, but it's first applied to the local church. Now, I want you to think through those things. Love is a choice. It speaks truth. It's committed. And aren't you thankful that this is the way that Jesus loves us? I mean, among other ways, this is the way he he chose you. He chose me. He's continuing to choose to love you, even though you don't deserve it oftentimes. Jesus speaks truth to you with the precision of a surgeon. His word is sharper than a two-edged sword. His love is not in opposition to truth. No, in fact, it is infused with truth. Jesus' love is faithfully committed to you. Even when you go off the rails, he's still committed to loving you. He will not walk on, walk out on you. He is committed. He promises to bring to completion the work that he began in us. Now, isn't that good? All right. In light of how Jesus loves us, um, I want to I just read to us and then we'll stand and read together. From John 13 and John 15, Jesus said to his disciples, a new commandment. I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus said in John 15, 12, very simply, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So when he gives a new command, the idea the command of loving each other is not new. But he, he adds a new element to it. The new part of it is this. He's now the standard. He says, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. So today we're going to spend our time looking at, uh, in 1 John chapter 4, how does God love us? Would you stand with me as we read 1 John 4? I just want to read verses 7 through 12. We'll stand in honor of God's word. We're going to read this same imperative John is reiterating and he's calling on the people, calling on churches to love one another. He begins this way. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Let's pray. Lord, our desire today is really just two big things. We want to see Christ as the biggest picture of the love of God. And secondly, we want to be compelled by that love. Having been loved, help us to love one another. 
In Jesus' name and for His glory we pray. Amen. Amen. So I want to see three, uh, three truths from this text quickly this morning. I hope to encourage you with, um, with these three truths. The first one is this. Love proves you are born of God. Love, real love, true love, God's love proves you are born of God. Verse 7 says, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So John is writing to give a litmus test of sorts. He's, he's writing to say, you can know that you're a child of God by how you love one another. Authentic love is a fruit. It's an evidence. It's not a, it's not a how to be born of God. It's the evidence that you have been born of God. This idea of being born of God is, uh, is a new way that John is talking about being born again. You know, Jesus introduced that terminology of, of new birth, being born again in John chapter 3, a conversation with Nicodemus. And Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, he says, unless you are born again, you'll never see the, the kingdom of God. Well, this is shocking. I mean, what, is, what does it mean to be born again? Nicodemus kind of flippantly says, I mean, do I, am I supposed to enter my mother's womb again? I mean, how, how, how am I to be born again? And Jesus says, no, what's of the flesh is flesh. But I'm talking about spiritual birth. What's of the spirit is spirit. And he says, you must be born of the spirit. What does he mean by that? Well, he means that you're to be born into the life of Christ through faith in Jesus. And John's going to make that clear a few verses down. He says that you are born again when you come to know and believe and confess that Jesus is the son of God. You are born again when that becomes your reality, that you know and believe and confess that Jesus is the son of God. So here's some ways that God has loved us in Christ, in this son of God. If we look at what John writes here in this chapter, it says um, in this, the love of God is made manifest in verse nine. In love, Jesus was sent that we might live through him. That we might live through him. Jesus came not to condemn, but to save. That's what he, he taught to Nicodemus that day. Right after he said, God so loved the world that he sent his son. So that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. The very next verse says, God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. So Jesus came that we might live through him. Here's the deal. He came to die so that you would live. Can you imagine that for just a minute? Like this whole reason in coming was to bring life to you and to me. This is love. This is what John's writing to say. In this is love. The Apostle Paul says it this way. God demonstrated his love. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
In Romans chapter 5, he goes on to talk about how, you know, somebody, you, you might would die for a good person, maybe. I mean, you might would be willing to take a bullet for a really good person. But rarely, if, if ever, would someone die for a really bad person. And the point he's making is, Christ has done that for us. God sent His Son to save sinners. That's us. He sent Jesus to rescue people who are totally undeserving. It, in love, Jesus was sent that we might live through Him. Now, what else does John say? He, in, in verse um, 10, he introduces a, a kind of a big word. We'll just break it down today. But he says, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. And He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin. Again, kind of a 50 cent word. It just, but it captures two main ideas. So we're going to do a little teaching on what propitiation is today. The two main ideas in propitiation is removal of wrath and reconciliation with God. We get that. Just make it clear. So removal of wrath, like sin that deserves the wrath of God in Christ has been that has been removed from you and you are now reconciled with God. That's what John is writing to talk about when he says Christ has come to be the propitiation for our sin. He's saying he's the one who has removed your sin and reconciled you with God. This is propitiation. And we look to Christ. He's our hope for that. There is no one else who could accomplish it. You know, in 1 John 4, he starts in verse 7. He says, beloved, let us love one another. He wants you to know that you are loved by this God. And one of the main ways we're loved is that Christ came to remove our sin debt and restore us in relationship with God. You know, John, the the apostle, when he wrote the gospel of John, he could not get over the idea that God loved him. He never even called himself by name. All through the gospel of John, he calls himself the one whom Jesus loved. He just couldn't get over the fact that Jesus would love him. You can almost hear the apostle say, why would you love me? I don't understand why you would love me. He's just just gripped by the grace of God in the son of God who came to rescue. This is what propitiation is. It's the removal of the wrath of God that we rightly deserve and a restoration into right relationship with God. We talked about this last week. Our sin separates us from God. But it's only through the sacrificial death of Jesus that we can have uh, God's wrath appeased. And we can be reconciled to him. The third thing in love, Jesus was sent. John tells us in this text, he says that we might live in verse nine. Jesus came to be the propitiation of our sin in verse 10. And then in verse 14, it says that Jesus came to be the savior of the world. And that is a broad and sweeping reality. It's the same truth that John presented in in John 3, 16, when Jesus said it himself, for God so loved the what? The world that he gave his only son. This is the invitation of the gospel. It's the good news that it's for you. 
Maybe you're hearing this message for the first time and you're like, well, God doesn't love me. The scripture is saying he loves the whole world. He does love you. In fact, he loved you before you ever thought of him. John makes that clear. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us, John says. If you're in this room, some of you need to hear this online. You need to hear this. God loves you more than you could ever imagine. He loved you so much that he sent his only son to take your sin so that you could be welcomed in as his child. This is the good news. Jesus came to save anyone who will repent and believe. Maybe you're not born again yet. Right now, today, put your hope and your faith in Jesus, the Son of God who came to rescue you. Maybe, as I say, that truth that love proves you are born of God. Maybe you can't love like Jesus loved because you've never personally known the love of God. First John 4, 16 and 19, he says, we've come to know and believe that the believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Then he goes on to say, we love because he first loved us. And the reality is you will never be able to love like this until you've known and received this love. God is love. So if you are not yet a believer, I want to invite you today to repent and trust Christ. Let him teach you the way of love. Secondly, Love reveals, so love proves that you're born of God. And secondly, love reveals if you truly know God. It's sort of the the inverse of what we just said. So verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God. And then later in the chapter, verse 20, he makes it even clearer. He says, if anyone says, I love God and yet hates his brother... John says he is a liar. So John's given us a litmus test here to reveal if you truly know God. So maybe you're in the room. You're like, well, I think think I'm a Christian. I think I'm a Christian. John's saying, let's evaluate how you love. Let's look at your love for one another. Let's look at whether or not you hate your brother. So John is calling us to examine our heart and to examine our actions. I want you to look a a chapter back. The, The whole book is is along these lines, look uh, in in chapter 3, 1 John 3, uh, verses 14 through 18. I'm just going to read those quickly. Um, John writes, he says, We know that we have passed out of death and into life. How do we know that? Because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. This is really clear, right? Let's keep reading. By this, we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, 
Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. This is really sharp words from the apostle. I mean, he's really digging down. He's saying, examine your heart and you'll know your heart by your actions. And he gives us a very simple example. He says, if you come across a brother who has a need and you're able to meet that need and you close your heart to him, how could God's love abide in you? He's presenting a question to encourage us to examine if we truly know God, if we abide in God. Mountain View, the call here is to see and savor the love of Christ, to treasure Jesus as our life giving savior and to abide in him. Now, I want to make a careful distinction here. The call is not you need to love better. That's not how that works, because love is a fruit. You only bear fruit if you abide in Christ. Jesus said in John 15, abide in me and I in you and you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So the idea of bearing fruit, of of having the 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 results of a, a relationship with Christ apart from relationship with Christ is not true. It's not real. It's inauthentic. So our call today is not to do better, not to love better. No, it's to abide, abide in Christ If you abide in Jesus, you will bear the fruit of his love. You will know you are greatly loved and you will be able to bend that vertical love horizontally. So thirdly, let me give you one last truth here from this text. Love proves you've been born of God. Love reveals if you know God. And thirdly, John wants to teach us that love helps people see God. Love helps people see God. In verse 12, he says, no one has ever seen God. And then he's going to say, but if we love one another, God abides in us. The point John is making here is that even though no one's seen God, he's left his imprint on you and me. Jesus said it this way in John 13. He he said that uh, they will know you're my disciples by how you love one another. Love is uh, the marker of who God is, right? In this, in this short verses, twice we have it where it says God is love. We really need to think about that and dig into that. When Jesus walked the earth, crowds of people flocked to him. Lots of people wanted to come catch a glimpse of this miracle worker. Just to see him, to to see this one who says, I am the son of God. People wanted to see him. But in his final hours, Jesus told his disciples, hey, it's better that I go and send the Holy Spirit. That's super confusing. I mean, it seems like it would be better for Jesus to stay. Everybody's wanting to see you, Jesus. Why why would it be better that you go? How how are people going to see the face of God if if you are the visible person of the invisible God. How are people going to see God? Jesus, it doesn't make sense that you would leave. He says, it's better because I'm sending my spirit and people will see God in you. Even though Jesus isn't here today in this way, when we truly love one another, we make God visible. People can see God kind of like 
the way they see the wind, for example. You don't actually see wind, but you experience it and you observe its effects. People might point and say, well, man, look at how the wind is blowing those trees. And in the same way, church, people should look and point and go, look at how the wind of God, the love of God is blowing through those people. We are branches that wave to God's goodness to the world as we love one another with a real kind of love. And Jesus said, all people will know we're his by how we love. So church, I want to finish this morning just with a reminder. God is building his kingdom. He's building his kingdom. And it's a kingdom where very different people come together in gospel love. We talked about this last week, where people who really have no business being together, who have very little, if anything, in common, have everything they need in common in Jesus Christ. This is the kind of beautiful unity that the world would look at and go, look at how the The love of God is just made manifest in those people. Peter would write about this later and say, once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. And so John's exhortation to us today is this. Receive and be loved by this great God. Our God is love. And then out of that, beloved, love one another. Maybe in the room or online today, um, you realize you need to be born again, that you're not a Christian. So if you hear nothing else I say, I want you to hear this. God loves you. He loves you so much. He sent his only son. He sent Jesus to die in your place so that you can be forgiven. Yes, but welcomed into a relationship with God. Listen, it's it's not just about getting forgiveness. It's about a relationship with God. This can be the moment right now. That you confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. Don't wait. Don't wait for another, a better moment. Now is, now is the time. Secondly, maybe you are a believer. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus. But as we read through this text, you realize there's someone in your life that you're not loving very well. Maybe it's a spouse, a co-worker, a neighbor, friend. Maybe your children, I don't know your situation, but maybe there's someone that has wounded you deeply and you're just holding on to that hurt. I want to call you to love them through forgiveness. In Colossians, Paul says we're we're to forgive as Christ forgave us. So again, we, we are loving in the ways that we have received love. So Christian, if you've received the loving forgiveness of God, 
Whether you deserved it or not. Whether you asked for it or not. If you've received the loving forgiveness of God. Extend that loving forgiveness to whomever it is you're holding a grudge against. Or, or, or maybe there's someone that you've mistreated. Someone that you've hurt. Someone that you've wounded. And you need to apologize. Today. Like humble yourself today. Get on the phone. And just say those two words. I'm sorry. Maybe there's someone who works their tail off. Maybe alongside you or underneath you at your job or wherever. And they just, they're just working so hard. But it never seems to be enough for you. Go out of your way to honor them and appreciate them with loving gratitude this week. Make them feel special because that's the way God loves us. Whatever it is, choose to love. Beloved, let us love one another. And in so doing, let's wave the branches of the goodness of our God for His glory.